morning, church. Morning. Before we begin, I'm going to ask uh, Matt Marshall to come up here for just one moment, uh, as, as Emily calls him, Little Matt, because we have to differentiate. And last week, come on up here, Matt. Last week, uh, we had the privilege to watch Matt clothe himself in Christ through baptism. Yes, let's celebrate. And so, as our tradition, Matt, uh, we have a certificate and a Bible that we want to present to you because we are just, we are so excited that you have made this decision. So I'm going to pray over you, and then I'm going to sit back down. Father God, we are so thankful for Matt and his decision. And God, we know that uh, this is a very important decision, the, the most important decision we will ever make. And God, now we know that uh, I'm sure there's excitement amongst the family and excitement in heaven, God. And, and we, we ask and pray that you continue to grow, Matt, uh, for your kingdom, God. Father, we know that Satan will attack, and we know that uh, his armies will try to get Matt down, but we know that you have already won the victory. And Father, that he has made this decision and he is part of your kingdom. And we are so thankful for that. Be with Matt. Be with our church family. Thank you for the celebration of this, God. We love you so very much. Praise all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thanks, Matt. All right. Uh, who in here struggles with procrastination? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm raising, yeah, good job, Earl. Earl and I have talked about this a lot, and I see what you did there. Thank you. All right. All right, who in here has ever, at a time in their life, has had an important task they had to accomplish, but it was something they really didn't want to do because maybe it was hard or it just seemed daunting, so you just decided to put it off to the last minute? Anybody had that experience? Okay, I think most of us have at least one moment in our life we have this huge thing we have to accomplish, and we honestly just don't want to. Uh, so we put it off, and maybe even pray that if, if we put it off long enough, we won't have to do it. Well, I, I posed this question on Facebook and asked people to give me some suggestions of this, and you may have seen it. Uh, there's, the results were pretty normal for the most part. We'll get to a couple of those. So Juanita Neely said, my homework, LOL. Um, B.J. Johnson, who's a good friend of mine from high school, said cleaning the toilet. Okay, uh, My cousin, uh, Kelsey Boyd, put cleaning the kitchen and scheduling doctor's appointments. I hate that. Okay, Michaela put Walmart. I, I, I really get that one. Uh, Chelsea Hill put put away laundry. And my good friend from college, Tony Daly, said waking up, to which he then put this gift of this. And I couldn't get the motion, but that, that kind of captures it. So Megan Magnus put changing the oil in my car. Uh, Jared Moss, who's a youth minister friend of mine, said laundry. Uh, Lori Manning said getting car tags and paying bills. Sandra Olson said folding socks. Uh, Jeff Elbert, who's another youth minister friend of mine, said mowing the grass. And then Jason Rutherford put trim my toenails. To which I responded, uh. And then it, you can't really tell what this is, but it's actually a gif of a scene from Dumb and Dumber where he's getting his really nasty toenails. So there's another one on there that I decided not to show. I don't encourage you to go see this post and look at it because I need to delete it. Uh, children's minister friend of mine, Carrie, said filing my taxes. Uh, Britton said cleaning toilets. Julie Magnus said folding socks. My mom said homework. And then Sherry Dittmeyer, you can see she has a long list of things that she just does not want to do. Uh, Janelle Johnson, JJ, our intern, said homework. Uh, Michelle White said she agrees with Sherry and has a whole other list. 
Uh, Melissa Peckham said comp papers. Jana Manning said emptying the dishwasher. Jennifer almost Sunday said paying bills. Uh, ben and Ron still are some, uh, they were some of my elders in uh, Richmond says taxes. And then Don Custer says dishes. Uh, good friend of Nicole's, Lauren Sheffield said get out of bed. Uh, Chelsea Hill said getting shoes on. Not me, but the kids. Apparently it's necessary to wait until the absolute last minute to put on shoes before walking out the door. And she smells me. And then uh, Tamara, who is a student from when I did my internships, said grading papers. And then Janice, of course, said sermon prep. Oh, wait, that's you. So as you can tell, I love working with Janice. We got, there we go. All right, so it seems that a lot of us have at least one thing that we just hate doing. But let's take this to another level. Imagine for a moment that instead of just putting these things off, that you just decided not to do them at all. This could have some major repercussions, and I just realized what I just did. I need to go through these again. So we look at these. So if you don't do your homework, you could fail a class. If you don't clean the toilet, it gets pretty nasty, and it gets really nasty after a while to where you don't even want to use the toilet. Uh, cleaning the kitchen, the same thing. Walmart, especially if you get your groceries at Walmart or any grocery store, if you won't have food in the house, uh, you could end up having a house with no food, so maybe you could starve. There's a, there's a lot of things. Uh, put away laundry so it just piles up. Waking up, uh, changing the oil could really damage your car. And, and the list just goes on and on. You, you guys get the point of this idea that if we don't do the things we're supposed to do, it could turn out bad. Now, some of these are really minor, but things like taxes, if you don't do your taxes, you could go to jail, and that's that's not a necessarily great thing. So, But even in all of this, there's something inside of us that says at some point, I have to do it. Now, we may not like it, we may not think it's fun, and we may not, it may not be the thing that we want to do, but we have to. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open to the book of Jonah. This is a story of a person that had something extremely important to do, but he just decided he wasn't going to do it. But before we begin, you have to understand something about this, the book of Jonah. It is an incredibly weird story. I mean, everything in this book is backwards. And we see this starting with the first few verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, if you've read the book of Jonah or you've even heard the story, the first three verses are not groundbreaking to you. Uh, Because one of the main themes of Jonah is that he runs away from God. But this is weird, you have to admit. And from the very beginning of the book, we begin as the readers to understand that this is not your typical prophet from God. Jonah clearly hears the directions God gives to him and essentially says... Yeah, that's that's not happening. I mean, are you kidding me, Jonah? And to make matters worse, he literally begins to go as far away in the opposite direction of Nineveh as he can. Here's a map comparing where Tarshish is in uh, relation to Nineveh. So Jonah goes down 
to Joppa. He's somewhere in between Nineveh and Joppa, off the map a little bit. And then you see he wants to go all the way, which in, in this time and in Bible language, this is basically the furthest away you can get from anything. This is almost like saying we would go to Timbuktu. We're just getting away. So Jonah goes down to Joppa because he's trying to get away from God. And, and this is important. The fact that he goes down to Joppa. Jonah has run away from God, which obviously isn't a good thing. The idea of Jonah going down is going to become more prevalent as we continue reading because the author is showing us that not only is Jonah going in the wrong direction physically, he's also going in the wrong direction spiritually. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Again, the author tells us that Jonah is going down. First he went down to Joppa. And then he went down in the boat to sleep. Let's continue. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So at first, this actually seems like Jonah's doing a pretty admirable thing. He's saving the sailor's life by sacrificing himself, right? But when you look at this a little closely, Jonah's actually being pretty selfish. First of all, he doesn't even readily admit that he's the reason the storm has come. Then sailors have to cast lots to figure out who's responsible for this happening. And when it falls on Jonah, they begin to question him, and Jonah doesn't even tell them why this bad storm is happening at first. To his credit, Jonah does tell them about the Lord. But the sailors figure out everything on their own because they already knew Jonah was running away from his God. It's almost as if Jonah is is trying to convince himself that this storm is not because of the Lord. And when you get to verse 12, it's like a light bulb comes off, comes on, and Jonah realizes, okay, I can't run away from God. So he tells the sailors to throw him overboard. All right, if you're thrown into the middle of the sea, and there's nothing practical to keep you afloat except your own body, there's a really high chance that you're going to die. And Jonah knew this. In his mind, he is still selfishly thinking, I am not going to Nineveh to preach to those people. And when he finally realized that he couldn't run away from God, he decided his best option would be 
to die. Okay, let's stop for a second. Because this just seems crazy. I look at this passage and think, Jonah, are you nuts? You would rather die because you don't agree with what God is telling you to do? I mean, don't you know as a prophet that God knows what he's doing and that it just might benefit you? I look at Jonah and I marvel at his arrogance. And honestly, his stupidity. But then I look at my own life, which the author of this book is calling us to do. And I start thinking, how many times has God's Spirit been pushing me to go talk to someone about Jesus? And I just don't do it. How many times will God tell me that I need to give until it hurts, love people even when they don't love me back, and honestly look different than this world? And I just don't do it. Then I begin to marvel at my own arrogance and my own stupidity. We begin to realize that Jonah might be one of the most relatable people in the Bible. So what happens? Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wider than before, wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Okay, so there's a little to unpack here. Uh, This is another instance where everything in this book is backwards. As we've already said, Jonah is being pretty selfish at the moment. And what's backwards here is you would not expect a prophet of God to be this selfish, but you might expect some pagan sailors to be pretty selfish. But what do they do? They try everything they can to save Jonah's life. They try, uh, And I can only imagine that Jonah is actually sitting back, not doing anything to help, and thinking to himself, whether I'm thrown overboard or the shit breaks up, I'm going to die, which is what I exactly want. Do you see how Jonah is going down spiritually? He is in a very apathetic mindset, and he just doesn't care. So the sailors throw him overboard. But before they do that, they pray to God. Not, not to their gods, but to the Lord. They do not want Jonah's life on their hands because, again, this is backwards. This is not what you would expect. You don't expect pagan sailors to be this selfless. Over, over. The ultimate thing that you wouldn't expect happens with the sailors. They see that the storm calms and offer a sacrifice to the Lord and vow to serve him. Now, why Am I spending so much time on this? Because it gives us insight to something very, very important. God can use our mess-ups and our failures to bring glory to him. This is not the path Jonah was supposed to take. And God could have done a number of different things to make Jonah come back. But in his infinite grace and wisdom... 
God used Jonah's selfishness to make believers out of these sailors. And that's awesome. But the problem is Jonah is still going down. Remember, down to Joppa, down in the boat. Now he's down in the water. And we come to verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now not only is Jonah down in the water, but he's in the belly of this great fish under the water. So he's just going down, down, down. And he's in the fish for all of chapter 2. And he says this beautiful prayer. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threaten me, the deep surround me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me for and forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me life, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. All right. Seems like Jonah is finally starting to get it. And I really want to believe Jonah. I I do. But I also know that when I'm in a tough spot and I feel like all hope is lost, my prayers start to sound a lot like Jonas did. But once I'm out of that tough spot and my life seems to be getting better, my relationship with God seems to regress. So let's let's finish the story, make sure and see what Jonah ends up doing. And the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah out onto dry land. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. All right, this is good. Jonah comes out of the fish. God tells him to go to Nineveh again, and this time he does it. All right, Jonah, you're doing great. Let's continue. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. What? All right, I'm going to read that again. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. This has to be the worst sermon ever. I mean, can you, can you imagine if a preacher who's never been to Western Hills, I don't know, let's just say Patrick Mead on February 10th through 11th next year for Rise 2018. Yes, this is a shameless plug. And yes, you should come. But imagine for a moment if Patrick came here and all he said is in 40 days, Western Hills will be overthrown. And that was it. We'd probably laugh him out of the building. And I'm sure the elders would demand a refund. But this is exactly what Jonah does. 
And nowhere in this eight-word sermon does Jonah mention what the people of Nineveh have done, what exactly is going to happen to them, and most importantly, Jonah doesn't even mention God at all. You You begin to get the impression that Jonah isn't really trying his hardest to give Nineveh the message God wants him to give. And you would also assume that no one is really going to listen to Jonah. But again, everything in this book is backwards. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. In a strange turn of events, everyone in Nineveh repents. I mean, even the animals are told to put on sackcloth and repent. This is the worst sermon ever, but it's also the best sermon ever. I mean, I wish I could just walk around Lawton and say eight words and the entire city would come to know God. But here's the great thing about this sermon. The last word in that sermon is overthrown. And some translations might have it as destroyed. Now in the Hebrew, it actually means overturned and it serves as a double entendre. Both Jonah and God believe Nineveh is going to be overturned. But Jonah thinks that means they're going to be destroyed. But God knows that it means they're going to repent. And that's exactly what the city of Nineveh does. End of story. Happy ending. And this leads me to the biggest problem I have with this book. And honestly, it has nothing to do with the book at all has to do what we as humans have done to this book. This book has become a story about a prophet who runs away from God, is calling to do, is swallowed by a big fish, comes to his senses, and does what God is calling him to do. It has become a redemption story for Jonah. This is what we teach our children. This is what I was taught as a kid. In fact, you can watch kids' videos of Jonah on YouTube and even read children's books about Jonah, and they completely leave out chapter 4. And this book is only four chapters long. But as you can already tell from the first three chapters, this is not a redemption story for Jonah. So why do we do this? Because honestly, we like redemption stories. It makes us feel good inside. But when we do this we completely miss the point the author of Jonah is trying to convey. And I'm here to tell you, it is foolish for us to think we can omit something from the Bible and make it better. But on some level, I get it. The last chapter of this book is hard to digest. And as I hope you'll see here in a minute, the author wants us as readers to struggle with it on some level. Let's just dive right in. 
But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So for the first time in the entire book, we get a glimpse of why Jonah tried to run away in the first place. And I actually get it. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were ruthless, idolatrous, and just a very proud nation. And like a lot of nations with that mentality, they had their sights set on conquering the world. But most importantly, they had long been a threat to the nation of Israel. This would honestly be like God calling us to go preach to North Korea or to ISIS. In our minds, they are the enemy, and they don't deserve God's grace. This is what's going on in Jonah's mind. This is Jonah's North Korea. And the crazy thing is, if I'm true with myself, I'm with Jonah. I understand that God is merciful, compassionate, and doesn't want to destroy people. But when I see all the evil that goes on in our world, I don't want God's grace for them. And although I know that's not right, I get why Jonah is angry. But Jonah isn't just angry. He seems pretty livid. And livid with God over God's grace and mercy. So in verse 4, God asks, is it right for you to be angry? This is what happens. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen in the city. God asked Jonah a question, and Jonah just completely ignores God. Jonah, didn't you learn this lesson before? God will not be ignored. But this verse in particular is interesting. I mean, Jonah's done with his prophet duties for the day. Why doesn't he just go home? What is he doing? Well, in chapter 3, the author tells us that the king of Nineveh stepped down from his throne. This is a huge sign of humility. And the king is essentially saying, God, if you forgive us, I will not sit on this throne, but this will be your throne. But how long do you think that king stayed off of his throne? I mean, honestly, what's your record for staying off of your throne? We all have that throne in our life that we need to be humbled and say, God, this throne is not important to me. You rule my life. But what happens? We get comfortable and we start thinking, well, I'll get on my throne for a few minutes. A few minutes turns into hours. Hours can turn into days, weeks, months, and then at some point we are permanently back on our throne. So it makes sense that the king of Nineveh might eventually get back on his throne. And so Jonah seems to be waiting for that. In the meantime, we have this interesting exchange between Jonah and God. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, 
is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Jonah clearly isn't thinking straight. I mean, Jonah is so upset because God gave him something that brought him comfort, and he took it away that he says he's angry enough to die. But this anger is still stemming from the fact that Jonah is ticked off at God for not destroying the Assyrians. And then God finally just lets Jonah have it. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? Jonah is so upset over losing something in his life, but he has no sorrow for a city that has over 120,000 people who are living apart from the Lord. And what's Jonah's response to that? We don't know. The book abruptly ends. And I used to hate this because I wanted to know the rest of the story. But the point of the book of Jonah is to leave it open-ended so we can contemplate in our own lives the last question God poses. Because let's be honest with ourselves. A lot of us relate to Jonah. It's easy to do the things that God wants us to do when it doesn't interrupt or clash with our worldview. But when he starts calling us to do harder things, we tend to run. Now, we may not physically run away, but we just try to act like it's not really what God is trying to tell me to do. And we start with the excuses. And I'll bid, I'm one of the worst at doing these. Go to church? Okay, I can do that. Uh, Teach Sunday school? Okay, I can do that. Pray with my family? Oh, man, we are golden. Talk to a stranger about Jesus? Hmm, maybe. Give more than I have budgeted out because God is telling me to. Well, I, I do have bills to pay. Following God is not necessarily easy. I mean, Jesus actually talks quite a bit about this. But following God is worth it. You may not get everything you've ever wanted in the world when you follow Christ, but you will get Christ forever and always. And church, I'm here to tell you, if that's not enough, we need to change our mindset. Today, you have the opportunity to believe, repent, and be baptized Clothe yourself in Christ, just like Matt did last week, just like Liz and Avery did the week before. If that's something that God is putting on your heart today, please don't hesitate. If you're going through some of these hard times in life and you just need prayers, know that your Western Hills Church family is here for you. If you need either of those, please come now as together we stand and sing.